So, dear friends, I wanted to uh, uh, talk a little bit tonight about the fact that, uh, uh, I don't know how many of you I went through, at the end of our sit, I went through our uh, breath and our bodies. Um, the next thing you would have to look at would be your feelings and your perceptions and your consciousness to check in with all of your skandhas. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh said that's how he started all of his meditations, was checking out all the parts of himself to see if any part was looking for help of any kind. Uh, is the body asking for some attention? Are your um, feelings not being listened to? Um, we really need to uh, first get anchored in the breath and then check, check ourselves out and really be uh, present for ourselves. Um, almost all people that I've mentored have gone through a process of feeling that they had abandoned themselves. When they come to the practice, they realize that they're getting reconnected, that they had really been uh, wanting people to love and understand them, and um, they hadn't been present for themselves. And Thich Nhat Hanh says, we all want people to love and understand us, and how could we expect them to do that if we don't do that for ourselves? So that really is the first order of business in our practice. When we can do that for ourselves, it really is much easier to be present for other people. Um, until we've done that, and it's so funny because people will feel, um, depends on what your conditioning's been and uh, what habits we've developed, but a whole lot of people have been made to feel guilty about being present for themselves. That um, is a selfish thing. To all you're doing is sitting around contemplating your navel, just so self-centered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've told people before that I feel it's the most unselfish thing I can do to get myself centered and to reel myself in if I'm uh, getting off-center um, before I inflict myself on other human beings is a gift to everybody. So um, uh, I think it's a, a real blessing. Uh, I shared with some folks the other day that I was at a retreat, well actually I was at probably about three different retreats up at uh, uh, um, when we were up in Vermont at the monastery. And every time I would have a roommate, I would be assigned a roommate, and it was, would be the same woman. And we were always in silence, so I never got to talk to her. And she was probably at that point, like in her late 70s, early 80s, and this is many years ago, she's since passed away, but um, I knew that I just adored her. She was just terrific. She had, um, uh, uh, the last time I, I got to see her, we were roommates again, and finally at the end of the, the retreat, she said, we have never spoken to each other, and we've been living together all this time. So uh, it turned out, she walked with two walking sticks, and she had just come back from uh, mountain climbing in Nepal. I knew I liked her a lot, and she, she said, uh, it has been such a pleasure to room with you. She said, it's such a relief to be with somebody who's in control of themselves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Isn't that great? Mm -hmm. 
I thought, what a great compliment. That was really lovely. And I, when I thought about it, I thought, it really is. I like being with people that are in control of themselves. Um, so, uh, you know, and the reason I bring this up is that I've been getting lots and lots of phone calls from people who are concerned. They're getting very anxious about the impending holidays. Now, I know that none of you are having those difficulties, that life is just sweet. Uh, but if you are, it doesn't matter whether it's the holidays or something else you're feeling anxious about, but uh, many people are feeling anxious because they have very different views than the people that they're going to be having dinner with. And um, they're feeling, uh, uh, just like I said, lots of anxiety. And one guy called, and he was um, going to have dinner. Uh, it turns out some long-lost relative was coming back into his life, that uh, the person had moved away as a young person and was now moving back. And um, he introduced him to me by describing the guy and saying that everybody in the family couldn't stand him, that he was uh, really totally um, controlling and his opinion was the only one that mattered. And um, he went on and on and on like this, so I let him wind down. And then I said, well, thank you for introducing me to your relative. <laughs> um, and I said, uh, uh, so why are you so afraid? And he just was silent. And then he said, I am afraid. And he didn't know that he was afraid. And I said, what are you afraid of? And he said, I'm afraid he's going to humiliate me in front of my family. That he's a bully and he... Uh, doesn't have any respect for Buddhism, and he makes fun of the fact that I'm a Buddhist, and um, all of this. So he was afraid of humiliation and embarrassment. And I said, well, have you ever been humiliated and embarrassed like that? Has that ever happened? And he said, yes, I've had. So um, uh, he talked about his childhood. He was, he was bullied quite a lot. and. Um, was humiliated and embarrassed. And the most beautiful thing, I think, in our practice, one of the most beautiful things, is the practices that Thay has given us uh, for healing the past. Because so often we're stuck in the past. And so um, uh, for this particular guy, I just uh, invited him to go back and visit that little boy and uh, understand that the misperception, Ty says, if at the, at the heart of any difficulty you'll find that there's a misperception. And the misperception at the heart of this difficulty was that he still felt like a powerless child. He was responding from that place of powerlessness. That, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to show up at dinner and this guy's going to say something and I'm going to be completely uh, humiliated and I'm just going to be glued to my seat and I won't be able to do anything about it. And uh, and clearly, he had no confidence in his ability to respond skillfully. Uh, that's where most of us get caught, because we haven't had good experiences in the past. Um, and so I said, you really have to have a conversation with that little boy and let him know that um, even though things were really tough at the time, you survived it, and now you're all grown up. and." Um, you're going to have a car and car keys. And you don't have to sit through dinner. You can leave. You don't even have to go to dinner if you don't want to. 
You don't have to do any of it. And just to understand that we are, uh, um, we don't have to be victimized, you know. But most of us, I've done all of these facilitations for uh, the practice of beginning anew. And I can't tell you how many times it turns out that it's children in arguments, children in difficulties with each other. That um, uh, the woundedness in me gets triggered by the woundedness in you, and I can do the same for you. Um, the other piece of uh, what Ty has given us that I think is absolutely brilliant, if I do say so, is um, conflict resolution practices that require that the first step in any conflict resolution, the first step in any beginning anew, and this is really not talked about very much in um, the books that have been written and the articles that have been written about it, um, which at this late date in my life, I'm convinced I want to make a video and I want to I teach beginning anew um, so that anybody could just press a button and hear it because I'll talk to group, little groups of people and then somebody who's heard it like a hundred times will call me in the middle of a crisis and say, you know, this is happening, and I'll say, well, did you begin? How do you do it again? <laughs> so I thought if I just make a video and they could press a button, they could play it back, and uh, uh, that would save them a lot of time and trouble. But the most important part is to spend 24 hours looking at what part have I played in this difficulty. And it's something, I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, I was never taught that. That uh, somebody did something that hurt my feelings, that they were creeps and I didn't like them, I never wanted to see them again, and that was that. Um, I was never taught to look at um, uh, myself. So that in and of itself, if we can spend the 24 hours looking deeply at ourselves, and we can see that, oh, what he said just triggered that little girl in me. And uh, it just played right into whatever the wound is, uh, the place where I've been badly hurt. Um, and what I find too are those places are the places where we needed love and compassion and we did not get any. And we need to go back and give it to ourselves. That That's really critically important. That uh, we can go back and have nothing but understanding. Um, it was also interesting because uh, a lot of the people that I sp I've spoken with about their anxieties around holidays um, never think to uh, meet a person where they are. That if you're dealing with a person who has a different viewpoint than you have, it can be very helpful to start off the conversation by listening and simply asking, you know, what is it that, uh, you know, what do you think about that? And, uh, hmm, uh, how did you form that opinion? What, did, what, what prompted you to come to that point of view? Um, and really try to understand. And our practice is not about uh, if we practice deep listening, people think that, uh, oh, then we're going to come to a place where uh, we're in agreement and we come out with the same beliefs, that we all have the same view. That couldn't be farther from the truth. That's not what it's about. It's about understanding 
and agreeing to disagree oftentimes. <clears throat> not necessarily that I'm going to be believing what you believe. Uh, and that's not necessary to do. But I think that um, to be able to come to a person and um, I would see this with parents dealing with their kids when I was working in the schools, that the parents would try to convince the, the student of something. They tried to convince them to think a different way or to develop a different point of view or come around. And um, if you can meet a person and say, um, I could really understand why you feel that way. I could understand that you're, you know, if I'm talking to these people that are anxious about, it's about Thanksgiving, you know, and then this guy tells me that he was bullied as a kid, I can easily say, you know, I can definitely understand why you're feeling so anxious. It makes really good sense that you're feeling the way you feel. Um, and I'm really sorry that all that stuff happened as a kid. Um, and now that you're an adult, uh, the most beautiful thing is you've got some options. But to first validate for a person where they are, what they're thinking, what they're, uh, they're feeling, um, because I think more than anything, uh, that's where the healing happens. The same thing, and the reason I, I say this is because that's where it's happened for me with myself. When I go back to myself and I can really look at myself as a child, have that conversation with myself and say, I am so sorry you had to go through that. And I could understand why you would have come away developing those habits that you have. Uh, makes really good sense. And now, the good news is, you don't have to keep doing that. That you're an adult, you're all grown up, and you've got a lot more uh, options than you had as a 10-year-old, or as a 15-year-old, or as a 50-year-old, <laughs> whatever time it is that I have to go back to. Um, but to first be able, otherwise what we do is set up um, uh, duality again. It's if... Uh, if I'm meeting somebody and I'm not where they are and I'm just trying to hurry up and fix it and give them a way out, um, it puts up resistance. That that uh, little child in them is still screaming. You just don't understand. <laughs> you know? uh, and we all want to be understood. So the first thing we need to do is have uh, some love and understanding for ourselves. Um, and like I said, then when we do, we can show up whether... And the thing I love about our practices is that it doesn't matter if it's the conflict in myself, the conflict with a partner, the conflict in a work setting, a conflict in the government, a conflict in the world. It's all the same. That the um, uh, practices are all the same. It's always the same. And... Uh, I shared with some of you, I know some of you have been to other sanghas this week, um, and I have shared with others that uh, I got to see the um, uh, ceremony for the Armistice Day, mm -hmm. ceremony in Paris, and uh, it was so moving. I don't know if any of you got to mm -hmm. see that, but I found it to be really beautiful ceremony that um, it was very somber, and uh, poignant that Macron was talking about how he had um, 
uh, visited all of the battle sites in France from World War One, and to and the, the scars of the war are still there. And um, it's very heartbreaking when you know the incredible brutality of that. That war was just horrific. And um, then to hear, it was so beautiful because he had young people doing the readings of the diaries and letters that uh, the soldiers had written on the day of the armistice or their uh, loved ones had written on the day of the armistice. And people were so happy and so relieved that this horrific thing was over. And there was such celebration and it was really wonderful. And the poignancy to me was that you know 20 years later we did it again. And so it was also, and it was just beautiful too, these young people were just the age of the soldiers and their girlfriends um, at the time of the war. But to me it just drove home again. Ty is uh, so wise and he has constantly said that nobody ever wins a war. Every single person is a victim of a war. There are no winners. And he said that um, a war can end, the hostilities can end, but we're only planting the seeds for the next war. That the war, the seeds for the next war have been planted. And in this case, it was such a beautiful example of that, that World War I had ended, but the humiliation of the Germans because of the end of the war was the soil in which Hitler came to power. That's what was used to manipulate the German population so that he could come to power. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because, like I said, it doesn't matter if it's happening on a world stage or if it's happening in my own life. That um, I could get into a conflict with another person and I may be have more facility with language, I may do better research and come up with some better facts than they have, and I could win the argument, but I have really only planted the seeds for the next one. That when Thich Nhat Hanh talks about uh, the lettuce, and I know we've talked about that in a number of different meetings, that uh, when lettuce isn't growing well, you don't blame the lettuce, you look at what it needs, and then you try to provide what it needs. Does it need fertility? Does it need water? What's wrong with the lettuce? But he said, we don't do that for other people. That when we have a difficulty with a person, we judge, criticize, and blame. And then we argue, and we try to convince, and all of that. He said, none of it works. The only thing that works is understanding. And so, again, this is what I've seen over and over and over again, is that um, you can win the battle, <laughs> but you've only planted the seeds for the next war that um, I can win an argument with somebody and by doing that I've humiliated them. I have made them feel less than. I, I can say I'm, I won, I'm better than, whatever. I could feel terrific. And it's very impermanent, very temporary because um, uh, it's all set up on a duality. It's all, it's all coming from a place of dualism. And uh, so I've only planted the seeds for the next war. When we work on conflict resolution, we're coming at it from a place of deepening relationship. We don't want to win. It's not about winning. It's not about being right. It's about deepening our relationship and understanding with another person. It's a whole other world. 
it's like 180 degrees removed from what our conditioning has been. So, uh, my advice to people uh, when you're dealing with situations where you feel uncomfortable, number one is we have to become very solid ourselves. And this doesn't matter what situation we're in. When I can be feeling completely comfortable, uh, like this guy was feeling threatened because somebody didn't like the fact that he's a Buddhist, if I'm feeling perfectly okay about being a Buddhist and somebody has a problem with that, I need to be able to see very clearly that's not my problem. That um, uh, if I'm feeling very solid, other people's religious views are not about me. It doesn't affect me. They're welcome to whatever view they have. And uh, if they are not okay with my view, oh well. <laughs> it's not, and um, when we can be feeling really in alignment with our own integrity, and we can feel very, very solid about uh, uh, accepting ourselves, um, we don't have to be a part of the play. We don't have to uh, uh, get involved in the game. And so we can just simply watch the movie play itself out and uh, not be uh, pulled in to other people's dramas. Um, I know I've always felt that way about uh, uh, religions that are afraid to have people experience other religions. And I think, hmm, they're not very secure. If you're feeling completely secure, it won't make any difference. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. And the, the sad part to me is that all of the wisdom traditions are, if you get to the essence of any of them, they're all teaching the same thing. And they have different ways of going about it. They've got different, uh, uh, different stories involved. But um, the bottom line is always the same. And then, uh, you know, if we can show up for our life having taken care of those things in ourselves, um, like I said, if I'm feeling insecure that I'm not going to be up to dealing with a bully, uh, a bully knows that. Bullies, uh, we are transmitting energetically every second of our lives. And there are people who can pick right up on somebody who is insecure. And um, uh, that was the other thing that I heard last week was uh, there was a woman who had called and she was really anxious about going to visit a parent who had been abusive to her. And she was called upon to help take care. He's very elderly now. And she was being called upon to take care of him for a week while his caregiver had to go away. And she was beside herself. She was just frantic because she really was afraid of being in his company. So we had a long talk. I told her the same thing I told her. Like I said, it's all the same. It doesn't matter uh, uh, who we're dealing with or whatever. It's all the same. That um, uh, I said, you know, are you going to rent a car? She said, yes. I said, then you have a car, you got car keys. Mm -hmm. He becomes abusive. You simply say, sorry you feel that way. I, I'm going to go for a ride. <laughs> Off you go. And you're not there. You're just, there's nobody. It's like trying to have a, a fist fight with a marshmallow or something. There's nothing there to hit. There's no, nothing to bounce into. You just aren't there. I'm not available. And it doesn't take long at all for people to get the hint. 
that uh, it's very off-putting for people when they're used to having, we're, we all get involved in a dance, that um, uh, we can come to expect certain behaviors from the other people in our family. And um, when they don't respond the way we think they should, it's very upsetting. It's, um, uh, we try very hard to get them to, come on, come on, come on, uh, play with me. And when we're not playing, the game changes. And so this woman was so beautiful because um, I made a couple suggestions, like you know, just basically to practice. And uh, uh, I said, um, she said her father liked comedies, and I said then a DVD, old comedies. I said take a DVD of Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, any of those. You know, you can have a good time and go anticipating that you're going to have fun. Uh, and when you're not having fun, you use your car keys. And then you go have fun. Um, it's just as simple, you know, it's not this complicated. And then I told her about envisioning um, the LED light, saying, don't take the bait, don't take the bait, don't take the bait. And um, so I was describing to her the same thing we've described about having this toolbox that when we can deepen our practice and we have uh, the Brahma Viharas. Um, I can always go to sending metta to myself. I could be in a whole group of people that there's lots of contention. And I can just say, okay, now it's time to meditate. Now I need to get back to my breath. I can spend this time getting in touch with my breath. I can spend this time uh, sending them all metta. Uh, I can send myself a lot of metta. Um, we have all kinds of options. And so, um, turns but you know, in the crisis is not the time to be developing a toolbox. We do that day by day by day, minute to minute, with all the little frustrations and irritations that arise, and watching our minds so that we can choose. Uh, do we choose the Brahma Viharas? Do we choose gratitude? What is it that we're choosing? Where do we choose to place our mind? And uh, she came back from her trip, and she was just euphoric. And she said, I couldn't believe it. He had changed so much. <laughs> And I said, I can believe it. And she said, I didn't even have to use my toolbox. And I said, uh, gee, I wonder what happened. And uh, she said, well, I just, she said, I just felt fine about the fact that I could leave. And I said, and he knew it. You pick right up on it. She's not available. And he knew it. And so suddenly the game has changed, and suddenly we're civil with each other. They're the best visit they'd ever had. And to me, I was so thrilled because he's very elderly, and to be able to have that kind of experience before a person passes is a lot easier than once they've died and trying to do it after death. So um, the practice is a total blessing. And um, I guess tonight was just kind of reminders of the things that we have discussed in the past, and I think with the holidays upon us, I don't know if any of you have to deal with uh, difficult people. Um, uh, I find that uh, um, being engaged in political action uh, gives me opportunities to deal with people with whom I differ. My opinion is different, and um, we have zillions of opportunities, minute by minute, day by day, um, to practice. And um, just as Louis Schwartzberg was saying on the video, if we can stop and just consider um, 
what are we here for? To enjoy all the wonders of life. That there's going to be plenty of time to suffer. Suffering exists. Everybody does it. Nobody gets out of here without it. And um, uh, if we water plenty of seeds of joy, we have the capacity to deal with whatever suffering arises. And what was happening was both of these people that I've told you about today were developing confidence in their ability to respond skillfully to life. And this is what Tai tells us. He said, don't kid yourself. Our practice is not about being comfortable. It's about transforming our unskillful states of mind so that we can respond more skillfully to life. And when we know that we can, when we practice that day by day, and we can go into situations with a lot more confidence, I have no idea what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. Practicing don't know mine. I have no clue what's going to happen. But what I don't have to worry about is I know how to breathe. I know how to come back to my breath, and I know how to not say anything. And I know how to not do anything. (coughs) And when I can stop and breathe and come back to myself and consider before I say or do anything, I know I'll cause a lot less suffering than I would otherwise. I may still make mistakes and cause some suffering, but um, the times get fewer and farther apart (laughs) the more that I practice. So um, it gives us more time to enjoy the wonders of life. And that's what Tai tells us we're all here for. So I just wanted to end uh, with a poem, of course. And this one is by somebody named Carrie Newcomer. And um, uh, she says, uh, and this is, you know, we've talked about before you go to sleep to think about what you're grateful for. And that way you're planting good seeds for uh, your consciousness. Um, People who actually do scientific studies of happiness find that that is one of the things that creates happiness. Um, The Buddha found that out too, I think. Um, But anyway, every night before I go to sleep, I say out loud three things that I'm grateful for. All the significant, insignificant, extraordinary, (coughs) ordinary stuff of my life. It's a small practice and humble, and yet I find I sleep better, holding what lightens and softens my life ever so briefly at the end of the day. Sunlight and blueberries, good dogs and wool socks, a fine rain, a good friend, fresh basil and wild flocks, my father's good health, my daughter's new job. The song that always makes me cry, always at the same part, no matter how many times I hear it. Decent coffee at the airport, and your quiet breathing. The stories you told me, the frost patterns on the windows, English horns and banjos, wood thrush and june bugs, the smooth glassy calm of the morning pond, an old coat, a new poem, my library card, and that my car keeps running despite all the miles. And after three things, more often than not, I get on a roll and I just keep on going. I keep naming and listing until I lie grinning, blankets pulled up to my chin, awash with wonder at the sweetness of it all. It's called The Three Gratitudes by Carrie Newcomer. So, just a suggestion. If... uh, uh, That could be of any help whatsoever. And um, 
I really hope that you all have a happy holiday. Um, I was telling people after getting all these phone calls this week, um, well, actually, for, like I said, for about the past three weeks, I think it is, uh, with people feeling so anxious about everything, um, it was so nice to have our potluck and have a Thanksgiving dinner with lovely people. <laughs> Zero anxiety. It's very nice. We're very lucky. Uh, but anyway, we can enjoy three sounds of the bell to end. JoannFriday.com is supported by donations. If you wish to contribute, please visit the donation page on JoannFriday.com.